Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, our Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is October 23rd, and we are reading from the big book, and we are at page 101, the third paragraph, which begins with, So Our Rule Is. Um, Today's readers are Eileen G., Crystal, Michelle, Fran, Sharon, and Sally. Uh, the reference number for yesterday is 5351, and yesterday was October 21st. I'm sorry, October 22nd. Overeaters, OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared express, ex, experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Eileen G. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Eileen from Massachusetts. The 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening, 
as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Eileen G. Um, I will now ask Crystal to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Crystal, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. First, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Second, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Third, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Fourth, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Fifth, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Sixth, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seventh, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Ninth, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Tenth, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleventh, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelfth, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you, Crystal. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone 
but the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 101, the third paragraph down, which begins with, So Our Rule. And uh, I'd like to ask Michelle to get us started and to read two paragraphs. We'll begin our sharing on the second paragraph. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you for your service. This is Michelle, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in St. Louis. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking if we have a legitimate reason for being there. That includes bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, even plain ordinary whoopee parties. To a person who has had experience with an alcoholic, this may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. You will note that we made an important qualification. Therefore, ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social, business, or personal reason for going to this place? Or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you need have no apprehension. Go or stay away, whichever seems best. But be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. But if you are shaky, you had better work with another alcoholic instead. Um, okay, so um, so this paragraph does hinge on um, doing something that, um, you know, a recovered <clears throat> and an alcoholic or a compulsive overeater who is not recovered um, may have a shaky time doing, and again, you know this all, this whole discussion on um, on how you know working with others and giving guidance to others, which is what this chapter is about. And when it was written, it was written with the idea that um, another person who's trying to recover may not be in contact with a recovered person. So they're given guidelines, and this starts on on the principle assuming, you know, bottom of page 100, assuming we are spiritually fit. We can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do, um, can do all kinds of things that seemingly, um, you know, in this seemingly hopeless state that I was in that I, I'm not supposed to do. And um, so it asked me some important questions, or I'm supposed to ask myself these important questions, like why am I going there? Is there a good reason to go? Um, and I can now, since I'm a recovered person, I can see um, I can see my motives more clearly if I stop and I pause and I ask myself these questions. Or am I really going to steal a little vicarious pleasure, you know, secondhand? Am I going to um, be getting pleasure, um, like from the old ways of um, thinking of only myself? Um, in the, you know, before I was recovered, it was about the food. Food brought me pleasure. Or maybe watching someone else eat something um, that, you know, I... I decided that I wasn't going to eat before I was recovered. That would bring me pleasure. Um, and so food has died. You know, I've surrendered to the food, and the alcoholic is recovered. But now they're going into places where, you know, if you if you had an experience with an alcoholic, you weren't supposed to go there. So as a compulsive overeater, um, before I was re- sanity was restored, I wouldn't think of going there. But now I'm going to serve others, and that is my primary purpose. And so I'm pausing, I'm praying, and I'm making sure I'm on spiritual ground. And I do that with prayer and meditation and pausing 
and checking in. What are what's my motive? And am I thinking of what I'm going to get out of this occasion? Um, if I am, you know, I need to be honest and um, get redirected. You know, pause, pray, meditate. That's not my purpose to go and to get something out of it um, because that's my life run on self-propulsion. But instead, I'm being directed to think of what I can bring to it. Um, but if I'm shaky and, you know, I'm wavering there, um, you know, I can connect with um, with working with someone else. I can call someone in the fellowship. I can I can call my sponsor and I can talk this over and process it because my primary purpose is to go wherever I go to bring this vision that I'm to be of maximum service to God. I'm asking how can I be of service um, today, and, and that keeps me on spiritual ground. And um, as a recovered person, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that my eyes have been open and that when I do pause and pray and ask for guidance, ask for directions, God, to direct my thinking and my actions, it comes. And I can see if I'm, if I'm starting to be the thinking of myself. And um, recently I had an experience um, where um, I, my husband was going to have a procedure in the hospital. And, you know, being recovered, I could see that, you know, um, praying and meditating, God was asking me um, to be of service to my husband. And sometimes it's hard for me to admit that because this was on my day off and I worked full time, it, it was hard for me to be honest and say, you know, there was a time when I would have really had a resentment there. And to a normal person without an alcoholic mind who hasn't been recovered that night, someone might not understand that, that I would be selfish um, because, my gosh, after all, this is, this is my spouse. Why wouldn't I want to think that I would only want to be of service to him? And being recovered, I could see the difference um, that I did want to be there with him. And um, staying in spiritual fitness, um, it was a pleasure to be there and spend that time. And that waiting time was time I could spend with God and connecting with my, my higher power, which is indeed what happened. How can I be of service? And what is my reason for going there? And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? Melanie. Okay, I heard Melanie. And who else came in with Melanie? Eileen. Eileen. Okay. Melanie first and then Eileen. Thank you, Kathy. Good morning. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I like to um, tell on myself in, in these two chapters. I have a couple of um, experiences that speak specifically to this. Um, when um, there was an occasion, and this will be real specific, there was an occasion where um, uh, there was a, a um, fireman's ball. It was a fundraiser for firefighters and paramedics, and that's what my husband was, um, that's what his work was, and, and it was a uh, New Year's Eve situation. And... Um, um, I had learned about it and, and, and mentioned it to him and, and he was contemplating whether or not he wanted to go and we had lots of visits about it and I said things like, well, you should go, you need to go. It's a it's a big deal. He had been away from the fire department for a while and we were kind of coming back and we were in a different state. We'd need to fly to go there to be involved in it. And and um, and so he decided he did want to go from that urging of mine and, and I'd had conversations with my sponsor about it and, and she heard something in my voice and so... She helped me deconstruct that through working the steps of what 
my motives were for encouraging my husband to go and, and traveling that distance and getting a hotel and spending that kind of money. And um, through that process, she found that I had um, uh, recently lost 150 pounds. I hadn't been around those people for some time. My husband had retired from that industry, and and um, there were some folks there that that hadn't seen me for a while. One man, and you know, especially that um, I had dated before I had married my husband, and and um, he was going to be there. And that's what came from this um, research through doing my step work over it. That's what my underlying motive was for encouraging my husband to go. And she pointed me to this very thing. I had no real good reason for going there. And now I've also encouraged my husband. He now really, really wants to go where he was somewhat indifferent in the beginning. And um, and so now where am I going to go? What am I going to do? My motives for going there were not good, were not pure. They were clearly self-centered. And my sponsor worked with me and, and a couple of folks in my network to be very, very clear. Now that we were going, Melanie, you created this thing to happen. What are you going to do about it? And a ton of work was done that my role, my responsibility, my place um, beside my husband was to be of service to him and only to him. And I bookended it and worked it out in that, in that very way. And as fate would have it, that gentleman wasn't there anyway, but that was where I went, and, and, the, and it was a beautiful spiritual experience. And then on the other hand, um, my sister um, had a 60th birthday party, and um, it's not someplace I normally go or things that I do, but we went to a, a gambling city where there's lots of buffets and lots of drinking and lots of nightlife and things that all could have been a problem for me all the way around based on my character and where I went to in all those areas. And we went and had a fabulous time. None of it was a concern of me. I knew straight away I was going to be there and be of service to my sister and was delighted in doing so and had a fabulous time and there was no concern or temptation for myself. And it was a beautiful, beautiful way in which to work this out. The thing that that I want to point out is that through the step work, going back and deconstructing, finding out what the real motive was, I was able to see and that's what this is telling us. There's a, there's a way in which we go about this, where we are in our lives. The first time I was not recovered, the second time I was. And in each case, I was able to do what I needed to do according to the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Uh, Eileen? Yes, thank you for choosing me. This is Eileen, a food addict from Bedford, Mass. Um, you know, you you get a little bit of recovery under your belt. I've, I'm coming up to four years again. I had a relapse for a month back in 2009. And it becomes more comfortable for you to attend uh, weddings, of uh, events, dances, going to nightclubs. But, you know, the disease never disappears. It never goes away. Um, I recently, I was working a temp assignment, and my temp assignment ended um, earlier than I thought it was supposed to go through. And I was feeling disappointed, hurt, whatever, that they let me go. And the first thing that comes into my head was the food. I wanted to eat things that I couldn't eat. That makes me an addict. You know, I'm looking for the solution outside of me rather than dealing with the feelings of disappointment and hurt and possibly anger about being let go. And um, I shared it with a 
someone that I was with for the weekend. And, um, you know, they they just rationally told me, well, it wasn't meant to be. You know, I, I've got to have a spiritual relationship with my higher power. And I do today. You know, I asked God, uh, you know, I kept saying, thank you, God, that's not my food, because they teach us that and program to say that if the food's calling out to you. But same thing with going into an event that there's a lot of uh, precariousness, joviality, joviality going on. If you can't handle it, you've got to probably remove yourself from it. And that's part of being in recovery. And that's part of feeling comfortable in your recovery. So thank you very much for letting me share, and I'll pass. Thank you, Eileen. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Sally. Leah. Okay, I heard Sally and Leah, and was the third person Sarah? Correct. Okay, great. We'll go in that order. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, a vision for you. It's Sally, Recovered Compulsible Reader. So I'm looking at the sentence, go or stay away, whichever seems best. Be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. And I'm reminded that when I was in the food, I didn't trust God, and that led me to self-reliance, page 68. Self-reliance led me to expectations and all kinds of flaws, character defects, because those were my maladaptive coping mechanisms. All these expectations and these flaws led me to be driven by a hundred forms of fear, page 62. And I've heard Leah say a hundred times probably in uh, the time that I've heard her, all action is born in thought. And I think that all of these fears have led me to ultimately to the behavior, to food. And um, page 88 in the 12 and 12 at the bottom talks about emotional hangovers. And we heard recently someone say on a, um, a special edition meeting that feelings are masked as hunger. And it's true that this, these feelings, all of these feelings masked as hunger, lead us to the behavior of either binging or more emotional hangovers, which will lead us eventually to binging, but instead, as a recovered person, as um, as I've grown and I've become recovered, I instead choose uh, a different way of thinking, and that's what the spiritual ground is that's being spoken of here for me. Solid spiritual ground, what it looks like for me is that I choose instead to trust God, and that leads me to God-reliance, which is talked about on 68 and page 55. And God-reliance leads me to acceptance and surrendering outcomes. Page 417 uh, says um, a lot about acceptance right through page 420. And acceptance and surrendering the outcomes lead me to put myself in God's hands, which we've talked a lot about, page 80, page 100, page 120, and page 124 talks about putting ourselves in God's hands. But even better, it tells us about faith. Faith means courage. And it does take courage to put myself in God's hands. These thoughts lead me to the behavior, just as all action is born in thought. 
these thoughts, putting myself in God's hands, and faith means courage, which is found at the bottom of page 68, lead me to different actions. The, the, the action verbs I talked about on Friday, try, page 28, seek, page 46, draw near, page 47, search diligently within yourself, page 55. But, you know, most important, the most important action that leads me back to my choice of whether or not I will trust, trust God is found in step 11, thought through prayer and meditation, which has been so eloquently spoken of already this morning. Thought through prayer and meditation. So as we put ourselves in God's hands, um, and as we have faith, which which does uh, bring about a lot of courage in our thinking to actually choose faith, we all action is born in thought. We take on the action of step 11, thought through prayer and meditation, to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And here I see, as we pray only for the knowledge of his will, I see the correcting of my motives as I pray for his will, only his will, and the power to carry that out. And as I sought him through prayer and meditation, I corrected my wrong thinking, um, my I'm mad at you, God, I'm scared of you, God, and all the other negative thoughts that brought me to a, a wrong relationship with my higher power led me to, instead of by choosing, by choosing instead God-reliance, acceptance, and surrendering the outcome, choosing to put myself in God's hands and faith, which means a lot to do with courage, I choose instead the actions of praying and meditating and coming to God. And that is how I put myself on solid spiritual ground before I start. And that is what corrects my motives. Thanks for letting me share that I guess. Thank you, Sally. Leah? Thank you so much, Kathy, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. But be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive is in going is thoroughly good. Um, the spiritual ground, you know, why do I need to be on solid spiritual ground before I enter some of these atmospheres and associations? Well, um, you know, I can't solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. I have a spiritual malady. Now, the big book promises me when that spiritual malady is overcome, I will straighten out mentally and physically. But if I am not on spiritual ground, then I need to refrain from certain atmospheres, because atmospheres are very, very powerful, certain associations, because lo and behold, those associations, whether it's some characters from our family of origin or uh, some playmates from an old playpen, uh, can push buttons. So before we're on spiritual ground, that was my case, I stayed out of these situations. It was prudent to keep out of slippery situations. You know, when we're in early recovery, uh, we're very vulnerable. When we're not on spiritual ground yet, prior to that transformation, um, I had to accept my vulnerability and accept my limitations. I have a disability. I have a disability and that meant that um, that had to be a priority to protect myself 
um, while I was in process because I was not on spiritual ground yet. You know, newcomers cannot trust their logic. (laughs) My conscious mind had been operating in a diluted manner for almost two decades. So that early recovery period prior to being recovered uh, was a period that was used for my stabilization and uh, withdrawal, and it was it was a convalescent period. You know, I think about Jim. You know, we read about Jim in Chapter 3, more about alcoholism. Uh, you know, what a great idea he had, right? He felt a little hungry, Jim the alcoholic. So on the way, you know, he felt hungry, so he stopped at a roadside place where they uh, have a bar. I mean, that's a seemingly unimportant decision, right? He had no intention of drinking. And yet what happened? He, he was... Uh, he was not on solid spiritual ground. For, so for, for him, for that environment, even though he thought his best thinking, thought that he might be able to find a prospect to buy a new car, because everybody's looking for a new car in a restaurant, um, you know, that was his best thinking. Uh, once we are on spiritual ground, we have these opportunities to go places, to be around at certain atmospheres and associations because we are standing on something that is immeasurable and indestructible and stable, and that's God. Um, it, however, it does say this last statement here, but if you, are, if you are shaky, you had better work with another alcoholic instead. And, of course, that reminds me of uh, Bill, Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson was sober, recovered six months at the Mayflower Hotel, felt a little shaky, you know, saw the old atmosphere, the dim lights, the clinking of the glasses, the, the chatter in the bar room, felt a little like he was on some thin ice. What happened? He made a decision to go work with another alcoholic instead. How did he do that? He made that decision because he had recovered He had been restored to sanity. He had the ability to take responsibility and make a different choice. He enlarged his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. And, of course, was led to Dr. Bob. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Sarah. Good morning. This is Sarah, recovered compulsive overeater and very grateful. Um, Thank you, everybody, for your service on this line. Um, and I'm so grateful for uh, the opportunity to share. Um, I wanted to focus on um, the last part of what we just read. Um, Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. But if you are shaky, you would better work with another alcoholic instead. And I have found that to be so true in my own life and my own recovery, um, that when I am... Uh, contemplating thoughts of food or uh, the mental twist starts to take place, if I get out of myself um, by uh, reaching out to another either recovering compulsive overeater or reaching out to somebody, uh, and that's what it tells us to do in the 10th step anyway, uh, we go and do the next right thing or go help somebody else, that that helps us the most. And I wanted to bring us back to two different parts, um, as was um, as the person preceding me started to talk about Bill's story, um, I had gone back to that too. And it says um, on page 15, 
It says, um, let's see. Well, let me let me go to page um, 62 because that that was the other part of it. Um, because the root of, the reason why I need to go to work with somebody else is because, as it says on page 62, the first full paragraph, selfishness and self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. And I guess, you know, the idea, you know, is uncomfortable for many of us to accept the fact that we truly are selfish people. But if we really look back, if I look back at my history, um, you know, I've I've really created a lot of wreckage in my past, whether it be with my, uh, with the people that I've lived with, my family members, you know, even, you know, I'm 56, even my family of origin issues, uh, way back, you know, always trying to get more, more was never enough, you know, always wanting to, uh, to be the, the princess, to be the one that's um, in, in the middle that can be uh, shining, um, whether it be by, by positive behaviors or negative behaviors. Um, and so, you know, when I get out of myself, and it tells us that so many times, I've heard it from so many people, whether it be sponsors or people that I've connected with in the program, um, it says on page 15, but I soon found that when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. And I think one of the things that came into my mind today, you know, I, I try to, in the morning when I wake up, I try to um, really quiet myself before I even step foot on the floor and I close my eyes and I start to talk to God and just say, you know, thank you for allowing me to wake up. And then I go through the steps um, and I, first I start with the serenity prayer and then I go through each step and then I do the third step prayer and then I do the seventh step prayer. And I try to really allow myself to feel those steps coming through me. But the only, the last thing I wanted to say is that the biggest thing, besides reading this book, is living the steps. It is not an easy endeavor. It's uncomfortable and painful at times. Because what we have to do is own our behaviors, become mature. Because that is my biggest issue. My biggest issue is that I'm a little whiny, tantrum-throwing child. And that is what recovery offers me, the ability to grow up and be a grown woman in recovery and get outside of myself and be a caring human being that's trying to look for God's will in all I do. And I'm so grateful for that. And today I know that if I live through the 10th, 11th, and 12th steps, that I will stay and remain abstinent and that I will be able to help others. And I thank you all and you all have a wonderful day. Pass. Thank you, Sarah. I'd like to jump in here. This is Kathy Kay, and in listening to everyone, I realize these two sentences really are a marker for me. Do not think of what you get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. Um, I've noticed I have a built-in barometer uh, at my workplace where it's very common that at meetings and gatherings of various kinds, there is food. Um, And before I was recovered, for many years struggling with abstinence, um, I would uh, 
go to some of these events, almost all of them were discretionary, and I would go um, uh, espousing the motive of uh, I need to be there, you know, I need to talk to people, I need to get this accomplished, but actually I was going to um, see what I could get out of it, and getting something out of it always included um, picking up food of various kinds, and then I would have remorse and regret and have to start all over again. Um, today, I have the same number of events in my life, and um, I'm always thinking instead of what I can bring to the event. Um, and I have often chosen not to go because I realize there isn't much I can bring to the event. Um, it's you know it's automatic to want to go to to be there, but not for the right motives. And so I have much clarity about um, what what I can bring, why I'm going, um, and ultimately uh, I am contributing um, in a way that I never did before I was recovered. I'm so grateful that I have uh, step ten and step 11 in my life um, because almost many times a day when I have to make decisions about where to go, what to do next, um, I have the opportunity to check in with my higher power and clarify my motives. Uh, that for me is a very big part of um, doing a 10th step and living in recovery. Um, it's, uh, it's, as several people have said, it's easy to fall back on self-reliance and selfishness. Um, and so the only way I can move forward and enlarge my spiritual life is to keep pausing and praying um, and asking God for the next right action. And with that, I pass. Does anyone else want to share on this before we move on? This is Paula. May I share? Sure, Paula, go ahead. And thank you, Kathy. It's, I'm going to go to this line here. You will note, so let's do that, that we make an important qualification. What's a qualification? To furnish with knowledge, skill, or other prerequisites necessary for a purpose to make fit for any place, office, or occupation, any place to make fit. Am I fit there? That's my. That's where I have to qualify. Not with one step, two steps, all important. Surrender. You surrendered, Paula. Came to a decision. Everyone, do I live by each one? And then it says, when we know we are living in 10th, 11th, 12th steps, it comes as a package. It's not, well, now I'm on the seventh step. Now I'm on the eighth step. No, 12 steps, 12 steps, those are the principles you are living with. On awakening, and we get these every morning, on awakening, because as this question is brought up, where should we go? Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. That's how we come in here. That's why we can go anywhere. I check out. What are my wrong motives? What are my character defects? Oh, let me think about that before I go into a place. Where, am I bringing something? Wanting to take something. 
then is so many. Oh, so beautifully said. We seem to all kind of zero in and we'll come together on that line. Think of what you can bring to it, yes, but if you are shaky and if you're living these steps, you'll know, oof, you had better work with another alcoholic instead. Notice they put not a period there, not a question, exclamation point. Honey, they're exclaiming, they're shouting to you, hey, nay, 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 go work with another, go work with another. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Uh, I'd like to ask Fran now to read the next paragraph. Star one to unmute, Fran. Um, Okay, Sharon, are you there? Can you read the next paragraph? Yes, this is Sharon. Oh, go ahead, Sharon. Hi. um, This is, good morning, and thank you. This is Sharon, a recovered compulsive overeater. Just very grateful to be with you on the line this morning. Are you there, Sharon? We just lost you. Sharon? Uh, Did I hear Fran come in as well? No, it's Sally. I'm just sitting here on standby. Oh, okay. Sally, why don't you go ahead then? Thank you. Sure. Why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. If a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. If you are with a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means, go along. Let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. At a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. While you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you are getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. This is still Sally, recovered compulsive overeater. Of course, this paragraph says so much. First of all, when it says, why sit with a long face in a place where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days, to be quite honest with you, I do not think of anything in my past before, prior to recovered, prior to a vision for you as the good old days. To me, the good old days, Uh, were actually would be described as um, every morning PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, for what the last 40 40 plus years of my life has looked like. Um, Waking up with the thought, oh my gosh, what did I eat last night? Oh my gosh, how much damage did I did? Oh my goodness, am I still going to fit in my clothes today? Um, A stomach feeling very bruised and hurt. Um, Damages by my tongue, things that were said that I cannot take back. Someone so eloquently put, 
says you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, um, a life of financial shambles, um, being cross-addicted and shopping and having all kinds of money problems, sitting in lots of flaws, not going to God about any of them, um, especially manipulative and competitive. And um, just I could go on and on. The good old days, that is not one that I actually can identify in with. If it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. Go and attend to your business enthusiastically. What this says to me is be present. Be awake. Be there for the people, not for the food. And it goes on to tell us that we should let our friends, let our family, I think, know that um, no, they are not to change their habits on your account. I don't want to be a, the party pooper. You know, my kids are constantly, my kids who are in their, you know, 30s, are constantly reminding me um, that when they're eating ice cream and um, other things like that, that is not the time for me to start mentioning anything about me or um, weight loss or anything. I just, I'm, I'm only adding stress to what should be a pleasurable experience for them. And so my kids are, um, are constantly training me on this particular one. Let your friends know they are not to change their habits on my account. Absolutely not. Um, as the proper time and place, I, I have explained to my family why food, certain foods disagree with me. But I love this sentence, and I'll end with this. While you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you are getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. So it's telling me not to shrink back from being with people, with living my life, not to withdraw as I did when I was isolating and I was alone with my face watching a television and my face um, in the food, not to withdraw into romance novels and, and the other things that I did to withdraw from life, but to live life to the fullest, not to be afraid of the food any longer. And, um, and this is a very precious reminder that we are all called to live life fully, to be present. And um, that's all I've got. Thanks for letting me share with that I pass. Thank you, Sally. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Good morning. This is Katie. There. I heard Bella and then Katie. Go ahead, Bella. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I'm a happy recover compulsive overeater. Thank you very much, Katie, for leading this meeting, and thank you, everybody that is on the line. Wow, I really like this paragraph because... It shows us what means to live in the program. Uh, to live in the program is not a diet club. It's not to do diet or not, to lose weight or gain weight. The program is all about to live the life, to, live, to, 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 to have a meaningful in life. And before the program is all about isolated. I was ashamed to be with people. I felt guilty. I was embarrassed. And pity me. Everybody can go to occasions. Everybody can have fun. I am the only one that has to, to feel miserable. And pity me and pity me, pity me. Thank you, God, that I am in the program. It's a gift. Now I know all about the program teach me and gives me the tools to live 
to live and to be with people. I don't want to be isolated anymore, and I don't need to. Now, the, the, the first thing in the program is to be connected to God. Yes, bring God into all the occasions. You don't have to be alone anymore. We don't have to be separated from everybody. We can go to, to, to places, even if there, there is food there. We are going to places to bring God with us. Wait a minute. What, I am now in a, in a certain occasion. I am now with food surrounding me. Bella, pause. Wait a minute. God is here with you. You bring God into this occasion. What do you think God is talking to you now? What do you think God wants from you right now? You now... You are with people. You have what to give to other people. <clears throat> Sorry. And people have to offer you things besides food. It's not the food. And I know from experience, if I respect myself, people respect me too. And almost nobody will say, oh, why you are not eating this? Why you are eating only this? Why you are not eating at all? Respect your feelings. Trust your feelings. The occasion is not food. You need the food only because we are human. And we need the food like a car needs the gasoline. But if you put more, it spills. You are now enjoying the occasion. Bring God with you. We are social people. We don't have to be alone and isolated anymore. Just bring God with you and listen to the voice. Listen to the loving and caring voice from God. And then what I can give to this occasion, what I can get. And by this I will pass, and thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Bella. Uh, Katie? Good morning, this is Katie, a recovered compulsive reader in Virginia. Um, why sit with a long face in a place where there's drinking, sighing about the good old days? Um, you know, I had, to, I had to grow up in this program. This is, this is where um, my character defects of selfishness, self-centered fear, um, you know, all those things were put to the test because everybody knew when I was on a diet. Everybody knew that I couldn't eat this certain thing today because, you know, I was on this diet that allowed that and blah, blah, blah. You know, I made it all about me. And in recovery, I've learned how to, um, how to be discreet, how to show discretion on um, telling people anything about my program and enjoying the event not the food. Um, in the beginning, I did not go out to restaurants because I had been, um, that had been my downfall. That was like a trigger food for me, <laughs> the entire restaurant industry, because I used that as an excuse to break my abstinence hundreds of times. So I had, uh, with the help of my sponsor, to learn how to socialize and to uh, read menus and to find out if I could actually eat at a place or if I needed to bring my own food 
or if I needed to not go at all. And I learned boundaries, and I learned um, discretion, and I learned how to socialize through all of these actions because in America, it's all about eating. And so, you know, but I found out after a while that people really could care less. They could care less whether I ate or didn't eat. As long as I didn't bother them about what they were eating, it really didn't matter. And I learned how to um, be a worker among workers and be just part of the crowd and just enjoy myself. And all of those things I didn't know how to do because I was too busy deciding, you know, with the mental gymnastics that was going on in my head. That's what a social event was like for me before. Or I was binging my brains out, you know, discreetly eating everything that was provided and just so zoned out I wasn't even socializing at all. So, you know, this is an important paragraph because um, we need to give our, this is working with others. So this is assuming that I'm a sponsor and I'm telling someone else, you know, what they should do. And I give people permission to say no, to say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to come to that dinner party. I'll get there, you know, I'll come after dinner. I'll come there for the coffee part or, you know, whatever. We learn to set boundaries in our lives, and we learn how to be social human beings through working this program. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. We have time for one more share. Who would like to share? Leah? Go ahead, Leah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, somebody else can go if they haven't gone. Who is that? Who came on with Leah? Oh, go ahead, Leah. Okay, thank you. Uh, why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days? You know, this is where <laughs> it's really important to not glory uh, the gory days. You know, we, we tend to have these selective memories. I mean, why would I be feeling deprived, uh, you know, sighing about the good old days? First of all, I have to be reality-based. What am I deprived of? Am I deprived of obesity? Am I deprived of anger and lethargy and shame and fear and guilt? <laughs> Medical problems up the kazoo, no close friends, uh, you know, can't sleep, uh, waking up with the four horsemen every morning, you know, suicidal depression and, and thinking, um, that's what I'm deprived of, you know, we have to get reality-based. You know, I had to be reality-based, keeping the memory green of where I came from. It says, while you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you are getting back into the social life of this world. Um, you know, the program of recovery, uh, because of this spiritual awakening and this personality change, allows us to live a new life, <laughs> to be reborn, not in body, of course, but in mind, in attitudes, in ideas, in emotions. Finally, like the big book says, we get to be in the stream of life. So instead of feeling deprived of, uh, you know, of, of these, uh, you know, imaginary pleasures that I used to have, um, you know, come forward with a heart of gratitude. How can I, with this new life, with this rebirth, give back 
out of the generosity of my gratitude, out of the flowing of my heart, how can I give back? How can I bring something to a social occasion, be there for somebody else, help out uh, whatever is needed to help out in a particular event? Um, be that loyal servant of God as an act of gratitude and an act of self-preservation, but certainly as an act of gratitude for the freedom and the happiness and the joy that this program of recovery uh, allows due to the process of these steps. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Uh, thank you to everyone who has shared we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Um, Fran, can you read that for us? Yes, I can. I'm so sorry. My phone got disconnected before. Um, this is Fran, compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.